Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, we're kicking off a new sermon series today. It's one that I believe is going to expand your mind. It's going to fuel your faith. And by the way, if you're here and you're not yet a believer, it's a series that's going to give you a great summary and overview of what Christianity is. So that's Every weekend here in October, I hope you'll join us. Really, we want to give you a confidence that you understand what the Bible means and what the message is as a whole from beginning to end. So these are big things. They are expansive things. So let's start a little closer to home, something much smaller, much cuter, our own kids. Let's start right there. And I want to show you some kind of funny examples of what life can be like when you don't understand how it works and you keep trying your hardest, but the same thing keeps happening. Feel free to laugh as you look. Life's pretty frustrating when you don't understand how it works. I could just hear the germaphobes groaning as that little girl was licking the metal on the water fountain, like how many germs are on there? So it's also true as adults, if you don't understand how the universe works, you're going to be constantly frustrated. Of course, that's true in the material world. If you didn't understand gravity, you'd get pretty frustrated that things are always falling down. But it's also true in the spiritual world, in the relational world, in the moral world. If you don't understand that there's an order and how things work, you're going to be constantly frustrated. Uh, we could put it a little more positively. What if, in your life, every pain that you have, as well as every delight that you have, every desire that you have, what if they all branch out from a larger story? And if that's the case, would you want to understand that story and understand how you fit into it so that your pain makes sense and so that you can work more towards the, the relief of pain. What if you could make sense of every difficulty in your life by understanding this larger story that you and I are connected to? Well, that's what we mean when we say the story of the universe. We're going to, in these four weeks, give a summary of what God is doing in the world, in the universe, so that the world makes more sense to us. And we're going to start right at the very beginning of the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. God says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens, that is the entire universe, and the earth, what we know as home. Uh, why does it say in the beginning? Because this is the beginning of our story, the human story. God already existed. No one created him. There's no start date for God, but there is a start line for us, the beginning of human existence. And as we read the word of God, we can understand where we fit into things. Verse 2 says this, now the earth was formless and empty or void. In other words, there was no life. There were no amoebas. There was no microbial growth. It was just a cold, dark planet. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Beautiful moment, and yet no life yet. 
verse 3, God said, let there be light. And boom, like a cosmic supernova ignites across the universe and light comes into existence, physical light. It's so interesting, this book of the Bible, Genesis, was written many thousands of years ago, long before the understanding we have today of photosynthesis, which, if it's been a while since you were in science class, is this reality that our entire food chain starts with the sun. It starts with the sun giving life to plants. Plants are able to transform that energy into energy that we can digest and all the other animals, all the animals can digest. And if there weren't plants that can transform energy from the sun into life, there would be no food chain as we have it. So very interesting that long before modern science, the order is correct here, that the sun comes first. And after the sun, God is going to create biological life in many forms. So interesting how scripture is always spot on in scientific matters. Of course, many of the founders of modern science, people like Isaac Newton and Johannes Kepler and Blaise Pascal, were devout followers of Jesus. And you can read about their faith in their own journals, in their own writings. They kind of unlocked the cabinet of modern science as we know it. And yet there's this misunderstanding in our era that somehow science and Christianity are at odds with each other. They're not at all. In fact, anytime quote, science contradicts the Bible, one of two things is happening. Either we haven't translated the Bible, we haven't understood it properly, or the science is incomplete. For example, there was a long time where the leading scientists in the world knew that clearly the earth is flat, that's just obvious, and they kind of scoffed at the people who believed the Bible where it said that the earth is a circle, the circle of the earth. So whenever science and the Bible disagree, uh, maybe we're interpreting the Bible incorrectly, or the science doesn't have all the data yet. But very interesting that in the opening lines of Scripture, it doesn't say God created the animals or God created, you know, like some myth that other cultures might have, and then the light came. No, it starts with the light. And of course, that's going to be symbolic spiritually, we'll see later. So after the light, God creates the animal kingdom, you know, in the water. Uh, whales and dolphins and on earth, foxes and elephants. But as God's creating, he decides to make this masterpiece, this crown jewel of his creation, strange beings that would be different from the animals, beings that would walk upright on two legs, more importantly, beings that would have higher thought, beings that would have free will to choose to love or choose to hate, Beings that would, like God himself, be able to create and discover these strange beings called human beings, which are really like little replicas of God, made in his image, not as powerful as he is, and yet your DNA has his fingerprints on it, and your soul carries within it attributes of God. You're made in the image of God. So anytime you're struggling in life, you're trying to make sense of where you fit or if you're valuable or where you find your value, you, you need to know something, and it's this. You exist within a story that is way bigger than you. Now, you might see that, and you might think, well, John, doesn't that mean I'm insignificant if this story's so much bigger than me? Quite the opposite. It actually means you're incredibly significant because the creator of this massive story that spans all of human history and it includes all the people alive today and all the people alive 2,000 years ago and everyone who will ever live and the unseen realm of angels. Within this story, he created a place for you. You're made in his image. In other words, you're created for a purpose. You're not an accident. You're not a cosmic happenstance. You were designed by a loving creator who calls himself your father and he wants to be in relationship with you. So when you think, oh, if I get that in life, and then you get it, and you're still unfulfilled, it's because you're more than a dog. You know, we've got two dogs at home. I love them to death. I should have brought a cute picture of them. But they live a very simple life. It pretty much exists of food, laying at my feet, barking at the neighbors, chasing squirrels, and sleeping. 
That's about it, five activities in a given day. And as long as they have food, they're happy. They don't have the higher thought that we have. We can have food and have shelter and still be very unsatisfied because we're so much more than animals. We're created to be in relationship with our creator. And as long as that relationship is strained or broken, there will be a sense that something's not right in life. You should also know that made in the image of your creator, you were created to create, to do great things. God has things for you to do that no one else in the history of the world will ever do, whether that's raising your kids or making great art or running a business that legitimately helps people. God has good things for you to do, and as you find that, it's deeply fulfilling. In fact, your deepest fulfillment, your deepest meaning and purpose, they begin to emerge when you start to understand where you fit within this story that is so much bigger than you or me, so much bigger than our entire lifespan here on planet Earth. Why? Well, because every pain in your life, every hurt in your life, branches back to this bigger story. Whether it's physical pain, relational pain, emotional pain, every hurt in your life branches back to this massive story that we're learning. As well as every delight, every good and perfect thing in your life traces back to this story. As a result, your deepest fulfillment, your deepest purpose are found when you live in alignment with this story. Now, I want to give you an overview of where we'll be going in this four-week study of this big story. So let's look at the big story. It starts at creation, where we just started. And as you see down there at the bottom, Jesus creates the universe in unity with the Father and the Spirit. It's one God in three persons. Not doing a deep theology lesson on that today. Uh, we call it the Trinity. It helps us understand it. It's difficult to understand. If it confuses you, don't worry. It confuses me too. But it does make sense as you read the whole of Scripture. There's one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit who now lives within followers of Jesus. In fact, this is uh, present at creation. Genesis 1, verse 26, after God has created the animals and something's missing. All the planets are spinning, earth is functioning, the animals are roaring and everything. Something's missing. And God says this, let us make mankind in our image. So if you didn't understand the Trinity, you'd read that and you'd say, does this God have a multiple personality disorder? Why is he referring to himself as us and our? It's because he's one God in three persons. Well, soon after this perfect world, and he creates these two beautiful, perfect human beings, a husband and a wife, Adam and Eve. They live in a, a fully organic garden with perfect food. They're never going to get zits. They're never going to get sick. They're never going to die. There's no cancer. There's no death. There's no pain. But there is an enemy in this story, a villain of sorts. We call him Satan. He's actually a fallen angel who had rebelled against God in heaven. And uh, when he got kicked out of heaven, he took one-third of the angels with him. So when you hear people refer to demons, biblically, in reality, demons do exist. They're in the unseen realm. They are powerful spiritual beings, as all angels are, and they're loyal to Lucifer, who rebelled against God. So Lucifer slithers his way in, in the form of a serpent, to this perfect garden, and he says to these two perfect humans who don't know what evil is, he says, wouldn't you want to know? God has not even given you the knowledge of evil. Now, because we know evil, we'd say, that's a great thing. I'd love to live in a world where you don't even know the existence of evil. That's the world God created and intended. But Satan slithers up and he says, God's holding out on you. There's a whole other half of the universe that you haven't seen. You've never seen evil. And almost like a child predator, I mean, pure evil. He whispers and says, wouldn't you want to know the other side, and Adam and Eve, they fall for it, and in that moment, unleashes evil across humanity. The planet itself, we're told in the book of Romans, breaks. Tectonic plates break. Evil infects every part of the planet, and now the animals are all going to die. Our bodies, our DNA is now broken to where we die. We were immortal before. 
and spiritually. We're broken away from God, completely separated from him. We need to know this because it's as a result of evil that war, famine, racism, pain, hatred, jealousy, evil of every kind exists in our world. God didn't choose for us to have those things in our world. Satan, and as he deceived Adam and Eve, the three of them chose that. It's important that you know there on the right that Satan is referred to in scripture as the prince of this world. And until Jesus returns, we're told at the end of the story that he will, uh, he'll bind Satan and he'll throw him into the lake of fire where Satan will then for all of eternity be essentially in a prison. Until then, Satan and his demons are at work in this world and we see much pain and much suffering as a result. This is a story from Genesis all the way to Revelation, some of which is in the future for us. It's a story that's full of ups and downs. Moments where evil appears to be winning, moments where the good guys are suffering and struggling, even a moment in the story when the only one hero who could fix it all will gasp a final breath. Moments where all the good supporting characters appear to be abandoned and without hope, and yet somehow in every chapter of the story, God seems to win, even in the middle of the defeats. It's almost like God can see the future or something. It's like he's in a chess match with Satan, and yet he can always anticipate the move Satan's going to make, and so he outmoves him, he outwits him. Which, by the way, I'll just nerd out on this very briefly. Let's talk about time for just a moment, because, you know, time, our ancestors assumed, and many of the greatest scientists assumed up until recently, that time is fixed, right? 60 seconds is 60 seconds, 60 minutes is 60 minutes, until Albert Einstein came along with his theory of relativity, which is a theory that just like there are waves of sound and waves of light, that there are waves of time, and time can speed up, and time can slow down. And Einstein's theory, which proved itself to be true in atomic chain reactions, is that there are places in the universe where time moves much faster, places in the universe where time moves much slower. Well, that theory of relativity has essentially become the consensus among the people that are called space astrophysicists, the people who explore the fabric of the universe. Who would have thought time can speed up, time can slow down? Did you know that scripture thousands of years ago wrote this about God, that with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. In other words, God has a volume knob. He can speed time up. He can slow time down. God stands outside of time. When he created us, he kind of created time. And when he came into our world in the person of Jesus, he stepped down into time, into our story. But he's not bound to time like we are. It's incredible, the God that we serve. He's this brilliant main character of the story who has unrivaled powers, and he's going to show us those powers not only in the reality that he created everything, created suns and galaxies and animals and you. I mean, if you were to look up, when I was going through my balance issues in August, I did a deep dive on just the balance system inside each of your ears. It's incredible. Same is true of your eyes. The same is true of your immune system. I mean, the in incredible intricacy. You're far more intricate than an iPhone. You're far more intricate than a Tesla. You're far more intricate than a space shuttle. You have more moving parts that work together. Uh, it didn't happen by accident. He's an incredible creator. And we sometimes wonder, why is he allowing Satan to do this? I don't have all the answers to that. But I do know that all the pain Satan has unleashed on planet earth it will end and one day we'll look back and among other things what we'll see is this not only is the one true god the only one who can create life but he's such a brilliant being that when when other spiritual beings come in and they twist and they corrupt and they pollute his world and his creation and his people he actually has the power to take pure evil no one else can do this. He has the power to take pure evil and turn it around for good and send it back out to accomplish good 
in the universe. Well, what makes a good story? I love stories. Some of you know I was a professional writer before I was a pastor. I love the elements of a good story, whether it's true story, which we call nonfiction, or a made-up story, which we call fiction. All the elements of good story are in the story of Christianity. A genius literary professor named C.S. Lewis started his adult life as an atheist. Lewis lived in England not too long after Charles Darwin. So C.S. Lewis was educated in that era in England where if you're smart, you believe Darwinism. And we've evolved beyond a need for God. You know, God was this kind of old caveman myth that people needed, but we don't need that anymore. Now all we need is science. And that's what C.S. Lewis believed for a lot of his life. C.S. Lewis was the professor of literature at both Oxford University and Cambridge University, the number one and two in the world when it comes to literature. And as such, a new story and what makes a good story inside and out. And, and as such, especially in that era, these kind of professors, they would learn all these ancient languages so they could read the old stories. Lewis, when he started to read the Bible, approached it thinking it would be a book of myths. But as he read it, he, he started to realize, well, these are real places. These are documented archaeologically. And as he looked at the ancient manuscripts, knowing that Genesis was written about 1,500 years before Revelation, and these 66 books compiled somehow create this gorgeous literary bookend from start to finish, he became convinced that there was a higher hand involved in the authoring across multiple continents and over 30 people of what we call the Christian scriptures. Lewis ultimately became convinced that the Bible's true and that Jesus is God. He became a believer, wrote a fascinating book. If you're here and you're not yet a believer and you're intellectually curious, I'd recommend his book called Mere Christianity. Not mirror, but mere, M-E-R-E as in small, Christianity. Uh, Lewis, brilliant writer. In fact, one of his good friends, a guy named J.R.R. Tolkien, wrote a book called The Lord of the Rings. Tolkien was also a follower of Christ. And Lewis wrote a pretty well-known book called The Chronicles of Narnia, a book for kids, which J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter, grew up reading C.S. Lewis, and her four houses at um, Hogwarts and Harry Potter are actually modeled after the four main characters of C.S. Lewis's story. But the point is this, Lewis reached the point where he said, the Bible contains all the elements of a great story, not because thousands of years ago people knew those elements and wrote it to model a great story, but because it is the story. And the reason we call these the elements of a good story is that they're written in our souls. They're shaped upon us, that this is reality. And what are some of these elements? Every good story has a main character. Every good story has a hero. Every good story has a villain, a crisis of some kind, and every good story has all these supporting characters across the range. What is this in the story of the universe? Well, the main character is God. Sorry if you thought it was you. <laughs> it's not, okay? There's a hero, it's Jesus, who is God, who stepped down into time and in the process stepped into a human body. Why? So that we could better comprehend this God that's beyond our minds. There's a villain, we've described him, this fallen angel named Lucifer. And then there's the supporting characters. That's where we show up. There's about 8 billion of us today on planet Earth. We don't know the number of the angels. We know that the angels, by the way, are these uh, muscular spiritual beings. We can't see them with our eyes. But they're described in Isaiah chapter 6. They're described in Revelation. They're described in the book of Daniel. And they're fascinating. If you read those chapters, it's like... There's different species almost of angels. Some have four wings, some have six wings, some have two wings. None of them are precious moments figurines, okay? <laughs> some have the head of a lion, some have the head of an eagle, some have eyeballs all over them. I mean, these things are freaky powerful. We're told in Hebrews that when Jesus came to earth, he was, quote, made a little lower than the angels. In other words, in the hierarchy of abilities, angels are smarter than us. And they're stronger than us. So thankfully, two-thirds of them are on our team. But you can't go up against an angel or, or a demon, a fallen angel, in your own strength. These supporting characters, I mean, you talk about a big story. You think about a, uh, something like Harry Potter or Chronicles of Narnia or Lord of the Rings. As the different books add, 
you get all these dozens of characters. We're in a story that has eight billion human characters alive today, but our story also includes all the humans who were alive 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, all the way back to creation, and all these angels. I mean, this is an epic, massive story that you have a part in. By the way, here's a dangerously simple point. I hinted at it earlier, but you're not the main character of your story. Jesus is. Now, it's normal to live life as if you're the main character because that's how we see the world, right? We see it out of our own eyes, and we're much more aware of what's happening around us than on the other side of the planet. But if you live life as if you're the main character, you're going to live a pretty small life. When you realize that Jesus is the main character and you start to invite him to lead you and shape you, you start to become part of something much bigger than you. And this is a foundational turning point of submitting to God versus making ourselves God. In fact, this is exactly the turning point when Satan lured Adam and Eve away from God. He came to Eve and Adam and he essentially said, God's holding out on you. You know, he's the main character. He knows stuff you don't know, i.e. the knowledge of evil, which in scripture, knowledge always means the experience. Eve, wouldn't you like to experience evil? Doesn't that sound great? And he talks her into it because she decides and Adam decides, let's put ourselves at the center of the story. This is part of the Christian story that just contradicts the spirit of our age. Every commercial you see on TV, every Instagram post that has a hook to get your attention is all about you, 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 yours. And your life, if you make it all about yourself, will not go well. But if you'll make it all about God, you'll be surprised how it falls into place. By the way, do you know what the original sin was? We're talking about Eve in the garden. What was that first seed of sin that sprouted up and off of that plant of sin comes jealousy, rage, anger, racism, rape, murder, all the sins came from this one first sin. We're told that that original sin happened prior to the Garden of Eden when Lucifer himself rebelled against God. When Satan, who, keep in mind, we described how glorious these angels are, Satan was a worship leader in the courts of heaven. So you can imagine this kind of beaming glory of God, and all these angels are sort of basking in God's glory, and Lucifer's right there leading the worship, and he's He's kind of feeling the heat of the glory of God, and somewhere he gets this thought. Why are they not worshiping me? And the original sin was what Scripture calls the sin of pride. This was all defined thousands of years ago. The word pride in the Scriptures means to elevate yourself above God, or even equal to God, rather than submitting to God. Pride was the original sin and then when those angels rebelled with Lucifer, he took a little piece of pride into the garden, and that's ultimately what Adam and Eve fell for as well. By the way, it's very interesting. Pretty much any week of human life nowadays, you can look up, and as you get to know this story, let's look at this big story arc here, you will find all these promises and predictions from the Old Testament as well as from the New Testament coming true in our lifetimes. Uh, for example, Israel. Israel's a real person who actually lived in Genesis, and that entire nation is descended from him. And it's a nation that Satan absolutely hates. Uh, God loves. They're his chosen people. Now, Jesus loves all the people of the world. He died on the cross for all to believe. So he loves anyone who's hurting as a result of that conflict. But when you see these kind of conflicts, when you understand the big story, it's sad but it's not surprising. We're actually told all the way through that Jerusalem is gonna be the most contested real estate on planet Earth right up until Jesus returns. And then you look up and you read the news and these ancient predictions are true. It's also interesting, if you were to rewind here in the United States, if you were to go back about 50 years, the word pride to an average American who at that time, most stores were closed on Sunday and about 90% of people went to church and the question was just, are you Catholic or are you Protestant or are you Jewish? There were really, I mean, you can look at the Gallup survey results, like 90 some percent of Americans were Christian. And we're taught in Sunday school that pride is this horrific sin of putting yourself above God. 
And if you fast forward to our time now, many people who haven't been taught the Bible, who haven't been told about Jesus, who've now named a month of our year, this is Pride Month. Very interesting, because I'm not, I'm not making this stuff up, right? Pride, you can read the Bible for yourself. It's been in there for thousands of years. And we're told that Satan and the demons, their primary weapon is not physical, it's mental. It's all about ideas. So they could take the idea that destroys humanity and convince people to make that their very identity. My identity is this thing that will hurt me. Very interesting. Okay, so every good story starts with a crisis. In the Bible, then we've got the Old Testament, and then we've got the Gospels, which is really the pinnacle or the climactic moment. That's when Jesus enters the story physically into our world. If you're only going to read one book of the Bible, pick one of those, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, because you'll see the heart of God walking around on two feet, speaking words that we can understand, healing people who are hurting, ultimately dying on the cross for our sins, rising from the dead. Then Jesus says to his followers, there's a new era, the New Testament is the new era, and I'm leaving you on earth to tell others the good news about me. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when I return, I will vanquish Satan to the lake of fire once and for all, but until then, I want you to tell others about me. That's why as a church, our focus isn't just on ourselves. Everything we do on a weekend, we design so that those who don't yet know God can walk in here and meet God, because we're here on earth for that purpose, to go and make disciples. Ultimately, this resolution in the book of Revelation, eventually. So 66 books in the Bible, if you go from Genesis to Revelation, with the pinnacle being the Gospels, thousands of years, dozens of authors, multiple continents, one masterpiece. Today, Jesus in Genesis, that first book, is all that we're looking at today. And we're going to see in Genesis that he's a promised fixer of everything that's broken, or the word that God uses is a redeemer. It's a great story. Let me give you my heart in this series, Acts 20, verse 27. One of the apostles says to the church that they're serving, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, my job as a spiritual leader is not to just give you the sugary parts or the milky parts or the sweet parts, the parts that feel good. My job is to make sure that you understand the whole of Scripture and how it all fits together. That's really the heart for both me and Pastor Ron, our teaching pastor, in this series. Uh, with that in mind, if you don't yet have a Bible that you love to read, we'd love to give you one today. These cost about $45 a piece, and we give them away for free to anyone who sincerely wants to read the Bible. Because our mission as a church is to equip you to become a self-feeder. If you think of the weekend as like a spiritual meal, you kind of come in here, we have a big feast, and then you go off. We don't want you to starve the other six days of the week. We want you to learn to read the Bible for yourself. And the reason we give you this very expensive Bible is we believe it's the best one that the way it's laid out it's got a topical index in the back, so you can look up any topic. Right now, if you're curious about Israel, you can look up Israel. It'll lead you to passages about his story. And then under every Bible story, there are footnotes, which is like having a pastor with you who explains, here's how this applies to your life. So if you don't yet have one, we'd love to give you one today. If you're watching online, text that word Bible. If you're here in person, you can go out to our Connection Corner. Let's talk about another theme of Genesis as I've studied it with fresh eyes. I've really been praying for you guys this week, studying this and thinking, Lord, I don't want this to feel like a seminary lecture. I want this to actually connect to real life. So speaking of real life, have you ever had a day that went from good or mediocre to just boom, something happens and it switches to worse or maybe to worst? Had a day like that uh, back when Jack and Zoe were about this size. We lived in Arizona up in the mountains. This was our stroller. By the way, I had no idea how expensive strollers can be. That's just bizarre, okay? But as we got two kids, Mel was like, this is the stroller we need. I was like, I paid less for my first car than that stroller. But we found a used one on Craigslist, and it worked great. One day, we took this stroller to the park, and uh, the car had an old school trunk, and I pulled the stroller out, get it all put together as you have to do with a stroller, 
And uh, we're finally ready to go, so I put my hand on the trunk, and I close it. And as soon as I close it, I just hear this shrieking noise. And I look down, and Jack, my son, is standing there, and his fingers, three of his fingers are, he had them right inside the fender where the trunk closes, and they were jammed inside there. So I start, you know, pushing the button on the fob, the key fob, and the trunk won't go up. I have to run up to the front of the car, push the button in there, the trunk flips open, his fingers are all red, he's crying, but, you know, we watch and he can still move them, and as we keep an eye on him, it's like, okay, you know, thankfully it was a car that had a pretty big gap there, and he's okay. But as a result of him screaming like that, my body went, like, into shock, essentially. I had this shot of adrenaline, shaking. And for the rest of our walk around the park, I was not enjoying my walk around the park. I was in, like, fight-or-flight mode. In fact, my body kind of stayed in fight or flight mode until I woke up the next morning after a good night of sleep. And I wonder, have you ever had a moment like that? Or have you ever had a season of life where one bad thing happens and then another bad thing happens and then another bad thing happens and you just start to think, where is God? When your life story takes a turn for the worse or the worst, where is God? Really, Genesis has four stories in it, and every one of them takes a turn for the worse. And every one of them, it looks for a while like, where is God? And there's a couple themes in here for us to notice. One of them is this. We are far more vulnerable than we think. Every one of these stories, from Adam and Eve, then you've got Noah, then you've got Abraham and Sarah, you're gonna have Joseph at the end, Every one of them, these people, as well-intentioned as they were, they were impossible to fix their life. It was impossible for them to fix life on their own. On our own, we're powerless to outwit this villain of our souls, Satan. Apart from God, we're helpless. We need a hero who can fight our villain. We need a hero who can defeat the one who brought death into our lives and the one who has brought sin and evil into our lives. We need some expression of this almighty God who exists in three persons and is almost outside of our dimension. We need some expression of him that we can touch and feel and see and understand. So where is God in our pain? Well, starting in the very first book of the Bible, we get the fall in Genesis 1. And then the last story of Genesis is this guy named Joseph. Joseph is a favored son, but his brothers are jealous. They hate him. They sell him as a slave. And Joseph's life goes from great to terrible in one day. Then as a slave, Joseph works as hard as he can. He works his way up in the household of the plantation he's at. And then he gets lied about by the plantation owner's wife and he gets thrown into prison, accused of you know, trying to sin against her. And it just seems in his story like, where is God? In fact, the word God, the Lord, is, is not in there a lot. But we're told this in Genesis 39, verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. And this is a literal true story, but it is also for us a metaphor of the prison of this life, the prison of these bodies that get sick, the prison of our mistakes and the mistakes that others have made against us. And we can feel like, God, where are you? And if you have trusted in Jesus, if you haven't yet, you can do that today. You simply call out, Jesus, be my Savior. Once you invite him to be your Savior, he will never leave you or forsake you. He's with you in the prisons of life. He's with you in the pains of life. The very final chapter of Genesis, Joseph is in a position where he's now in charge of all of Egypt, the world's superpower. There's a famine in the entire region and no one else has food, but He's stockpiled seven years' worth of food because God showed him to do that. And the very brothers who had sold him as a slave, they come in dehydrated, emaciated, starving, and they kind of crawl into his presence begging him for food. And they've done evil to him, and now he has the chance to do evil right back at him, as we all would, human nature would. And instead, Joseph, who becomes a picture of Jesus, forgives them. He forgives them. 
And as he forgives them, he gives, at the end of this first book of the Bible, this theme for the whole story. He says, you intended to harm me. Your chess move was to mess me up, but God saw that move coming And he positioned me so that your move toward evil would ultimately become a move toward salvation. And this is a picture of what God promised thousands of years ago that he would do through the whole human story, that where Satan intended to harm God's creation. For all who will simply believe Jesus and and just hang in there and trust him, every evil in your life will, in time, be turned for good by this one hero of the story who has the power to do that. There's this kind of literary genius, if you look at Genesis as a book of literature, that it starts with a catastrophic fall, and it ends with a God who has the power to turn pure evil into good. And so that catastrophic fall isn't permanent. It's going to be repaired. Here's the point for you. If God can plan and orchestrate all of that over the course of millennia and generations and nations and continents and he can weave it all together, then you can know this. You can rest easy where there's brokenness and pain in your life that God has a plan for you. He's not the author of pain, but he's the one who promises to work all pain for good. Uh, Joseph's story is the final, as I mentioned, of these four major stories here in Genesis. And in each story, there's moments where it looks like God has nodded off or walked away, but he's actually present. He was there creating. He was there protecting Noah in the flood. He was there with Abraham, guiding him. He was there with Joseph in the prison, and he's here today. Each story in Genesis is a, a microcosm or a miniature story that shows the big trajectory from creation to ultimately Christ returning to turn everything for good. I can't unpack these, but I'll give you just a few ways Christ is represented at creation. He provides. With Noah, he protects. With Abraham, he keeps his promise and he rewards Abraham's faith. With Joseph, he transforms evil, pure evil, into good. Jesus is foreshadowed in all of these. Back at the Garden of Eden, as soon as Adam and Eve sin, God actually kills the first animal. The first death comes after sin. God makes a blood sacrifice, uses the skin of that animal to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. And it's a foreshadowing of the Lamb of God who will one day take away the sins of the world. Lucifer, God speaks directly to Satan and he says, okay, you have bruised the heel of humanity. And humanity will live with bruises for a long time, but I will send one, a descendant of Eve, Jesus, who will crush your head, Satan. He'll crush the serpent's head. At the flood, yeah, let's celebrate that. I'm thankful for that. At the flood, we see humanity on the whole, just a few generations from having walked with God, and they turn completely away from God. They redefine morality that every person can decide what's right and wrong for them, which we see happening right now. And it sounds cute in a university lecture hall that's air-conditioned. We all get to pick what's right and wrong. Great. Until you realize that your classmate believes it's right to kill you and eat you. Well, wait, wait, not anymore. No, no, no. Not if it means killing people. Well, then, then what is, where is the line? Yeah, humans will inherently, we've got this sin nature that we inherit from Adam and Eve, and we turn away from God, and we fall for Satan's lies over and over In Noah's time, scripture says that evil spread to the point that every person was sinning continuously. Just imagine a, a world where people are physically abusing each other, raping each other, stealing from each other, wronging each other, lying to each other, just all the time everywhere. And and finally it's like this is this is just too much. But God sees one righteous family, Noah. He says, I'm gonna create a salvation vehicle crafted out of wood to rescue this one righteous family from the judgment. And in the same way, at the cross, Jesus provides one rescue vehicle fashioned out of wood for all who will believe in him to be saved out of the future judgment. Abraham and Sarah teach us that God wants a relationship with you. You can leave what you know to follow him, and I know it's scary, 
but it's worth it because he's got bigger plans and dreams for you than you can imagine. He tells Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. Abraham will uh, be the predecessor of a guy named Israel from whom the nation of Israel is named. And if you do genetic testing, Abraham's other son, essentially the father of the Arab world. These guys were brothers. And you can test the genes. They go back to one guy. That's Abraham. And, And God gave all these promises for Israel that it would be attacked, that it would be under spiritual oppression, that ultimately the Messiah would come, that many would reject him, but that he's going to sustain them until Christ returns. Which, by the way, can I just say this? Because I used to be a journalist, and I used to doubt that any of this was true. If you just study the history of Jewish people and how they have survived, and all the, I mean, from Hitler to the Soviet Union, all the way back, all the oppression they've been under, If there's not a supernatural realm, I don't know how that story makes any sense. And and it's just real. I mean, it's undeniably real that this little group of people is always oppressed and somehow they always exist. Anyhow, okay, Joseph's story, pure evil, which we see right now in our world. God has the power to turn it for good. Well, all of these point to a coming Messiah. In John chapter 1 one of Jesus' disciples, the disciple who leaned up against Jesus before he was betrayed by Judas, Joseph sold for the price of a slave by his brothers. Jesus had 12 brothers sold for the price of a slave by Judas. John, the disciple who was a big feeler, leaned up against his chest, heard the heartbeat of God in the flesh, And after Jesus dies and rises from the dead, John will give his life as all the other apostles will, saying, we've seen him risen from the dead. And when John writes down his story, he echoes Genesis in just poetically beautiful echo of Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. It's a name for Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In other words, he's saying, if you imagine him writing in his time, right after Jesus rose from the dead, hey, all of you who are wondering who Jesus is, well, I've talked with him, I've shared meals with him, he's fully human, but you also need to know this, he's fully God. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light the spiritual life source for all mankind. The bottom line is this, the hero in the story of the universe is Jesus as God who came to save us. For those of us who believe that, can we just celebrate that? Where there's pain in your life right now, God encourage you with this. If God can plan and orchestrate all this over languages and civilizations, (laughs) over world wars and depressions, you can rest easy knowing that God has a plan for your life. And when he promises in Romans 8 that he will work all things together for your good, you can believe that. You can take that to the bank. (laughs) You think of this kid spraying himself in the face repeatedly, just doing his best. And is that not us some days in life? We struggle and we strain and we strive and it's not working. The great news about this story is that you don't have to figure it all out. You don't even have to understand how the whole story fits together. You simply have to believe the one who does. Trust the one who does. Submit to the one who does. Give him the pen to write your story. The reality is that the day will come, you and I will both be there, when every human from all of history, eight billion today, many more throughout the past, and every angel in the unseen realm, we will all kneel and we will all declare in unison that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and he is Lord of Lords. And from that moment forward, he will reign forever. And he will reign over a kingdom that he wants you to be in. In fact, Jesus spoke about this kingdom more than anything else. 
in his gospels. It's a kingdom where there will be no pain. The knowledge of evil will be gone from us and it won't be boring. He says we will rule and reign with him. We're not gonna be passive. It's not gonna be lame. It's gonna be the greatest adventure of all eternity. This is reality. And because you have a free will, you're free to deny it. You're free to disagree with it. But that will not change the fact that what we've described today from Scripture is reality, past, present, and future. You think of it this way here in Indiana where we're always seeing cornfields. If you imagine a farmer who said, well, I'm going to plant my corn in December and I'm going to harvest my corn in March, he would be free to give it a try. But he would get the results that align with the reality of the orbit of the planet and the light from the sun and the results wouldn't be good. You can deny God. You can deny that he exists. You can refuse him. You have every right to do so. But you'll get the consequences that, that align with not aligning yourself to this huge story that God loves you. He cares for you. This is why Jesus came and died on the cross was to reach you and to help you. So all this said, I've just got two questions to wrap up with. First, have you invited Jesus to be the hero in your story? Have you ever had a definitive moment in life where you've done that? You can do that today. You simply call out, God, I know I've sinned. I know I've messed up. Jesus, I believe your God be my savior. You can still have questions. When I first started believing, I still had questions that weren't answered about parts of the Bible and creation and evolution, all this other stuff. Don't get distracted with all that. Just very simple. Will you invite him to be the hero of your story? Will you believe? And for me, that started with just saying, God, if you're there, then yes, I believe. Second, have you asked him, especially those of us who do believe, where you have failure in your life, where you have pure evil in your life, have you asked him to turn that for good as only he can. I'd love to pray this over you. Would you stand together with me? We'll pray together. Father, I want to praise you for being a God who fixes broken things. Praise you for being a God who is vastly beyond what we can understand and yet intimately near in the person of Jesus. A God who's near to the brokenhearted, a God whose chest we can lean up against, a God whose heartbeat we can hear through the gospels. God, I thank you that from Joseph on, you turn evil for good. Turn the evil in our lives for good. Increase our faith. Be the main character in our stories, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that. And you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us. And please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.